Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. We are back. Hello, hello, with part two of our coverage of Wallace Simpson. When last we saw her, Wallace was watching the Heralds proclaim the accession of Edward VIII, who we've been calling David since we regard him as our friend. Uh, As far as she was concerned, she felt like this was the beginning of the end. You know, maybe she could hang on as the king's mistress for a while, but he's only 41 years old. So legitimately, it's marriage to a suitable princess, heirs, children, just what you'd expect. And I think everyone thought this. Everyone except the king. Hmm. (laughs) Except the one guy who had a secret plan in his head. Their whole relationship, though, she was that way. This is just a thing. I'm just another American mistress that he has. And when it's over, I'll use it to climb a little higher on the social ladder and have some fun cocktail party stories. But it wasn't a lifelong commitment to her. No. Regardless of how much fun she was having, because she was having fun. Well, the king took up his new job and he didn't do it the same way his father did. And the old guards really disapproved of his populist attitude and the fact that he didn't really necessarily like to do all the formal things. I mean, he didn't do them as graciously, perhaps, as the kings of old. He wanted to focus on things like unemployment, poor relief, help for wounded soldiers. Um, He wanted to be among his people more. He wanted to walk around. He wanted to hear how things were going. And his detractors said he was unseemly. His detractors said he was not being very regal. Sounds a lot like what people used to say about Princess Diana, I think. Oh, definitely. There's a lot of similarities with Princess Diana in this story that she just kept popping into my head. Um, But going back to where you said he was, you know, the people's kind of the people's king. He wasn't really offering any solutions to these problems, though. He was kind of like shining a spotlight on the poor and um, things that were needed in the country. But he wasn't saying this is what we could do. He wasn't offering anything. But I think that's probably fine. That's not his role. I, I can see it. He's like, look, I'm going to use the power of my position to shine some light on these problems. What will you do about them? I mean, he was kind of shaming Parliament, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't want him in the first place. That wasn't not that they had a choice in the matter, but they weren't looking forward to that particular moment in time. Even right before when his father died, he said, after I'm dead, the boy will ruin himself within 12 months. Oh, did we know that he had ESP? (laughs) That's not exactly a vote of confidence. That's for sure. Oh, their relationship, in fact, does fill several books. I will uh, link you later to some biographies. Uh, That relationship is not a good one. No. So behind this whole next year, the year of rumination, also let us remind (laughs) you that the Germans under Hitler continued to work on making an alliance, I guess, with Britain, at least a good relationship, for which Wallace takes a lot of unwarranted flack in the history books. We talked about that in the first half. Again, I'm going to refer you to the book 17 Carnations by Andrew Morton for details on that. I just wanted to let you know that this was going on, kind of ticking away in the background. He really thought that the whole responsibility of his generation is to do anything possible to prevent another war because right before him is a whole generation of missing men because they're dead right from world war one it was so devastating to europe that they they thought anything we can do to prevent it from happening again is the least we can do 
So back to Wallace's atmosphere, it started to become apparent to those in the king's inner circle that, hey, uh, hey, uh, that lady's influence is not exactly waning like we thought. David's under pressure with all of his new responsibilities and opposition from those in the know, and he leaned on Wallace more than ever. I'm even going to say, saw her as one of those, it's like the white stripy things, lifesavers. Like a floaty, like you throw off a boat to save someone that's drowning. Onlookers are not comprehending this at all. I just, I'm going to go on a tangent here. I once read an article that asked little kids, little kids, what true love was. And this really stuck out to me. One of them said, grandma's back hurts too badly to paint her toenails. So grandpa does it for her. And I do have a point. I know. I know exactly what your point is. I have it written down myself. Friends of the king baffled by this whole relationship, which they shouldn't be. Anyway, we're shocked one day to see him painting her toenails by the pool. And I have to say, if even a little kid can see that this was true love, at least on his side, I'm still on the fence if she loved him. Even if a little kid can see that that's true love, I don't understand how anyone else couldn't see it. He genuinely loved her and she fulfilled a need in him for someone strong Someone to tell him what he should do and to listen to him talk, which I don't think anyone ever listened to him and how he felt. No, I don't think so either. And I think a lot of the people in his life weren't even looking at him as a man. He was a man second. He was their king first. Just an institution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, Wallace needed a break from the weird situation she was finding herself in, you know, adjunct to the institution, which is really (laughs) quite strange position to be in. So she went out of town and her husband, do we remember that she has a husband? His name is Ernest. He took this opportunity to call on David ah, and he laid it out like, look, dude, what are your intentions here? I myself have a life. I need to see where I fit in here. And the king told Ernest that he intended to marry Wallace and Ernest agreed to divorce her. And the king said, you know, I really appreciate this. I will settle some money on her so that she can be independent until we get married. Operating costs, I guess, were covered. They made a decision. While she's away in Paris. When Wallace got back and found out what the plan was, I'm sorry I'm going to say this, she was pissed. (laughs) That is exactly the word I have in my notes, too. She was. They decided for her in their little summit or whatever we're calling it. You know, they decided what her fate was going to be, not just their own. Whoa. And this is a strong woman, remember? She didn't want to divorce Ernest. Rather unfairly for him. I'm going to say, legitimately, Ernest was her security blanket, and that's not fair to him, her fallback position. Mm-hmm. What is that they say about having cake and eating it too, which I always think is reversed? I think it would be more powerful of a statement if you said, I want to eat it and still have it on the plate. Oh. Yes, that is a more accurate statement, isn't it? Yeah. So she wanted to stay and be the mistress. Well, now that option's gone. Um, I'm not entirely sure that was a legitimate thing to hold on to. What do you think? No, I, I don't. No, I don't think so at all. Because what she was doing to Ernest was just kind of cruel. But she just wanted to keep everything status quo. She was having fun. And can't we just keep having fun? You know, but you we've all had those relationships. You get to a certain point that you have to actually poo or get off the pot, you know, and it was her time and she wasn't ready 
to give it up. Wow. How's that for a metaphor? (laughs) Well, so basically someone has shoved her off the pot. Anyway, Ernest, Ernest has already moved on. In a move I can only call 1970s sitcom. I'm talking Three's Company level of what? (laughs) Old Mary Kirk, Wallace's high school friend, Ernest is Ernest's... (laughs) Ernest's, Ernest. hard to say, <laughs> mistress, wrote a thank you card to Wallace and a love letter to Ernest and put them in the wrong envelopes by accident. Uh. Sure, she did. <laughs> Is anyone believing that? No, I did not believe it. And Wallace came home from Paris and there's that letter from Mary and it's like, oh, Wow, this is really escalated. But still, she didn't want to divorce him. She still tried to hold on. That's the part that's getting to me. Life is happening, woman. You have to go with it. But she didn't. So the life raft is leaving the ocean. Can you see Wallace, based on her previous struggles in life, kind of looking around anxiously? And here's David, sort of cheerfully, naively. I don't even know. He is so funny. He's just disregarding obstacles. Like, they're not there. He's moving forward with his plan to marry Wallace, which honestly, I'm not even sure she was really into. No, no, no. (laughs) I mean, I don't think we can say that enough here. He is showering her with jewels engraved with their initials. It's kind of an in-joke. W.E. Wallace and Edward, or the royal we, they always spoke about themselves as we, a little unit. Also, things were engraved inside like, be strong, hold tight. He's introducing her as his future wife to people who frankly don't want to hear it. The prime minister <laughs> doesn't want to hear it. His next youngest brother, married to the woman we all know now as the queen mum, didn't want to hear it. David was in love and he admirably so. He was open about his intentions. He's not pretending. Oh, no, he didn't pretend at all. He had her as the hostess for a dinner with the prime minister and his wife. Uh, He included her name in the official record of visitors and guests called the court circular. I mean, we need to meet the prime minister. So let's have this official dinner. And when those official things happen, that's when they get into the register. It's it's an official event. Well, and he kept saying he had the intention to be a public king with a private life. And no one seemed to be able to explain to him that that's not how it works. You're a public king with a public life. The end. Well, David put a lot of pressure on Wallace to get going with her divorce. Timing. He was under a lot of pressure. He's supposed to be crowned in May, so he wanted to get married in April. And if you back off from that, it takes six months to finalize a divorce in Britain. So chop, chop, we're running out of time. And they had to do this weird little piece of theater. Um, (laughs) According to British law, somebody has to be the bad guy. There's none of this irreconcilable differences crap. Right. Somebody had to have cheated on the other person. So what happened was Ernest took a weekend trip to France. He checked into a hotel room with one, quote, Buttercup Kennedy. And then he returned to Wallace. And when he did, she had left a note saying that she had learned of his affair. That's how the story goes on, which to a court would probably sound okay, except Wallace already knew about the affair. This whole thing was so staged. It's not even... It's so transparent to us right now. Ernest thought he was doing his duty as a subject of the kings. He had to do it. He had to take the fall, not her. Well, and it was the gentlemanly thing to do anyway. Well, and also he was cheating on her. 
just like she was cheating on him. I just think it's funny that the letter that she left on the table basically said, I know you're cheating on me. Someone saw you. This is the end of everything. Place the back of my hand on my forehead, which is super rich since she was parading around with the most famous man in the world. I know, right? But there you go. Here's a piece of documentation that says I'm leaving you because of this reason. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's a house of cards. So people are starting to close ranks. They're starting to choose sides. The first female member of parliament spoke out against Wallace in the House of Commons. Also rich, I think, Nancy Astor, 100% American, who said the only acceptable Americans come from Virginia. Where does she come from? Virginia. (laughs) Is she divorced and remarried, this Nancy Astor? Yes. The hypocrisy kills me. Yeah, her her hypocrisy stuck out to me, too, because she, of anybody, should have a soft spot for Wallace. She should be, at least be able to empathize with her. She could be in the same position. But no, she was not a fan of this marriage. I think it's really interesting that they're still able to hold back the British press at this point. There's a gentleman's agreement between the British press and the royal family that the mistresses were not allowed to be covered at all. And the word in the rest of the world is starting to leak out. But in England, it's still kind of being held back. And that alone, I think, is a remarkable accomplishment. Well, and you know what? Even later, okay, if anybody's watched The Crown decades later, there's a scene in The Crown where Elizabeth and her husband Philip have an argument, which is caught on tape. And the reporter literally hands the tape to Queen Elizabeth, like takes it out of the machine. Sorry, we got that on tape. Here it is. We're not using this. Yeah, I I love that show, by the way. Interesting. Yes, I love it, too. I do. Well, okay. so the Duke of York, the second brother, father of our Queen Elizabeth and his wife were absolutely against Wallace's existence in their lives. Speaking of hypocrisy, the thing is, it was all ha-ha, raise a glass with old lady Furness, you know. But with Wallace, it was the cold shoulder. At least now it was, because David was open about wanting to marry her. Um, She's nobody, said her critics, from nothing. Well, clearly, we saw that wasn't true. Her family name was well-respected. She'd come out at the most exclusive event of the year, you know, which meant a lot then. She'd been to the best schools. Her family's as old as you can get in America. And honestly, she might have more illustrious ancestors in England than half her critics. But they (laughs) said she was vulgar and was, quote, Becky sharpening it up, which is a reference to a sort of desperate social climber from Thackeray's Vanity Fair. Highly recommend on audiobook, by the way. Um, Now, I have a soft spot for Becky Sharp because you had to do what you could and use your wiles, especially in Becky Sharp's time period, you know, but she had to use um, the assets that she had. And um, maybe that's why I feel a little sorry for Wallace also. I think she was unfairly treated. There was prejudice is what I'm saying, because people that came to her with an open mind still loved her just like always. We just need to remember people that met her thought she was freaking charming they thought she was very appealing that she was gracious in person she could hold a room in person she could make people fall in love with her and i just think we get caught up and forget about that oh definitely even the prime minister's wife after having that that official dinner i was talking about earlier after that she said i think we have lost the fairy prince you know, she knew that the relationship that they had not only was Wallace charming in person and very likable, but their relationship together was one that was visibly good, I guess is the word 
Well, you know, the rumors started to swirl. David, never a man for protocol, was kind of leaving those boxes of state papers laying around, leaving open the possibility that Wallace and friends were pawing through it. Did she? I just don't know why she would. That woman has access to state secrets. You know, is she a spy? Um, One of her supporters wrote, The Simpson scandal's growing and poor Wallace looks unhappy. The world is closing around her. The flatterers, the sycophants, and the malice. Wallace is getting hate mail. Death threats. To the point where somebody even wrote, 200 years ago, we would find a way to deal with you. Unfortunately, now we have to go through legal channels. And of course, they're like, no one can deal with that kind of hate mail. Remember, this is pre-internet, and now we're all kind of used to it. We're all hardened now. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. There's nothing she can do, kind of. Her appearances in public are just setting people off. It's not so much the mistress thing as the refusal to be a secret thing. Um, Everyone's like... It's because she's American. She doesn't know that she's supposed to bow out right now. Any British mistress would know. He's the king. You step aside. That's what you're supposed to do. But this fool is not understand the most basic rules of etiquette. Like, oh, God. In that vein, they decided at one point they were going to take a, a vacation together. Traditionally, he would have gone as the king, um, not far outside of his own kingdom's backyard. You know, maybe go to the Isle of Wight or Edinburgh and then sometime at Balmoral Castle. But he didn't want that. He wanted to go to the sun and the surf. So they rented, even though there was a boat at their disposal, they rented a yacht, uh, like almost 300 foot yacht with eight staterooms on it to cruise the Dalmatian coast, which I had to look up is off the coast of Croatia. (laughs) I didn't, I was like, Oh, I never heard of that one before. And yes, the dogs did come from there. Nice. You know, the international press is following him the whole time and she's doing whatever she would do in a normal relationship, which, like you just said, is not what they expect of their king. They don't want to see that stuff. And the whole world is seeing it. And David, who is so proud of her, is putting her constantly in these positions where she's sort of between a rock and a hard place. And she made a lifelong enemy of the lady we know as the Queen Mom. I think we should just call her the Queen Mom. Nobody did then, of course. She's Queen Elizabeth, but that's a little confusing now. Mm -hmm. So let's call her the Queen Mom. So Wallace was the hostess at one of David's parties and welcomed her graciously to the party, which I guess was presumptuous. Protocol being what it is, she blew by the Queen Mom and said, I came here to see the King and didn't shake her hand or anything. And David stood by her. He did. And he watched the distance grow between himself and the rest of his family. And oh my, you better get used to that. Um, F them then, right? I guess it's we, Wallace and Edward, against Uh, the world. Yeah. At that party you were just talking about, he had kind of broken family protocol and had her there in the first place. It was usually something that was just that that dinner was just for the family and um, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And David kind of just totally circumvented tradition and had her there and um, kind of lied about his whereabouts so that he could send his brother to do something that he was supposed to go do some official business. And David went to go meet Wallace's train instead. So David's not being very conventional at all. And for the royal family, that's a big no-no. Well, and so I just want to clarify again, he's flouting these conventions and making people mad all on his own 
which people like to blame Wallace for. Right. Well, Wallace is not a stupid person. In fact, she's not a robot either. And her feelings have got to be getting hurt on a daily basis. So yes, yes, she asked for this by dating the Prince of Wales, but now she's in over her head. I think it's like a whirlpool and she's just a little ship going round and round and looking over to the left at her doom, I think. Yeah. Well, she was in Paris and I like to think of it as the backhand of reality hit her upside the head when she realized how much she was in the press outside of England. It it really just sealed her fate almost at that point because there's no place for her to go. Well, and she said, and I quote about this, I told him I didn't want to be queen. All that formality and responsibility, I told him that if he stayed on as king, it wouldn't be the end of us. I could still come and see him and he could still come and see me. We had terrible arguments about it, but he was a mule. He said he didn't want to be king without me and that if I left him, he'd follow me wherever I went. What could I do? What could I do? What Nothing. What could she do? I, don't, I know. <laughs> Yeah, she could have called his bluff, I suppose. Well, Wallace wrote a breakup letter to David. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. I must really return to Ernest, she said. I don't 100% think that was even optional, but whatever. <laughs> we're, we're so awfully congenial, Ernest and I, and we understand getting on together very well. I'm better with him than with you. You must understand. In a few months, your life will be just like it was before. I'm sure you and I will only create disaster together. I want you to be happy. I feel sure I can't make you so, and I don't think you can make me happy. How how much clearer do we want people to be? That is about as clear as she could possibly get. And that's the letter that he said, um, it's not going to happen if, if you leave me. I'm going to kill myself. And here's a whole bunch of jewels to make you feel better. It's that simple. I can't live without you, basically. He wouldn't have it. He no. wouldn't have it. He insisted it will be all right. And what did she know, really? Would it? I mean, he said so. He knew all the people that could make it all right. He told her they'd be married and crowned. And live happily ever after. Queen Wallace. I mean, <laughs> that must have sounded pretty cool. Regardless, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Queen Susan. Queen Beckett. <laughs> Queen Beckett. And he loved her. He loved her so very much. So very much. I mean, everyone thought, even Winston Churchill said that Mrs. Simpson was as necessary to Edward's happiness as the air he breathed. He mm -hmm. was a completed being. Instead of a sick soul. I mean, everyone knew she did complete him. She made him a different guy. Mm -hmm. And also, Ernest was done. There were no backsies. He's literally living with Mary Kirk. <laughs> the English press was still maintaining a dignified silence about this whole thing. But the American press was either tearing her up or like betting on her like a racehorse like Wait, how sweet would that be you know the queen of england is one of our own and that's where this rags to riches story started to be created internationally and it's a heady thing the divorce from Ernest was done kind of discreetly out of town they were careful not to link the king to the divorce in any way as a special favor when the king calls you in and you're a publisher for a special favor that's kind of flattering, I guess. I don't know. Maybe he thought he'd get the scoop on another story. Or maybe just tradition. Maybe that publisher was upholding tradition better than David could himself. Well, the next day, the very next day that the divorce was final, David gave Wallace an engagement ring engraved, We are ours now. 
2736, which referred to October 27, 1936. And he didn't go to Jared. He went to Cartier. Um, it was an almost 20 carat rectangular shaped emerald ring with diamonds around the outside set in platinum. That reminds me of that scene from Titanic where she showed him the ring and he goes, you would have gone straight to the bottom. <laughs> yes, it was that big. So everyone's getting super agitated. <laughs> the prime minister down through the House of Commons were on the whole absolutely objecting to David marrying Wallace. They wrote him a note. It's a very long note. It basically says, I'll just quote a little part of it. It says, even those who sympathize with your majesty as an individual would deeply resent the damage which would inevitably be done to the crown, the cornerstone on which the whole empire rests. So they're like, we feel ya, but it can't fly. They warned that the wholesale resignation of the government would take place if he went on, making the king's, I hate how they even, unwholesome relationship, they called it. Mm -hmm. With this woman, the main issue in elections. And of course, half of me is like, don't let the door hit you. Like, who cares? <laughs> but, you know, if you think about it, if every single member of, well, I don't know, maybe that wouldn't be so bad. If the, if everybody in Congress just left one day <laughs> and had to be replaced, I'm like, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, we can start with a fresh slate. <laughs> So I just, from here, cannot fully comprehend what the big deal is. But I want us all to know that for this time and in this place, the twice-divorced Wallace marrying the head of the Church of England, never mind the king, is shocking to people. And it's upset-making to people. And no one can believe it, kind of. It just is that bad for the time. We just have to accept that it is that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, divorce was not an option, and she had two living husbands. You know, if her husbands had died, it would be one thing, but she had two living husbands, and he has no option at this point. Well, even the Archbishop of Canterbury was just not wanting to crown him over this whole thing. Like, if I anoint you with holy oil, I am literally lying to God. <laughs> that's how bad it I mean, you know, that's how seriously people were taking it. Yeah. Helpful lady friends were urging Wallace to clear out. She was causing David so much trouble by staying. And Wallace is like preaching to the choir. I've offered to go. And he says he'll come after me and then he'll kill himself. If you want scandal, you watch what happens if I try to leave him. Like you tell me my solution. There's no way out of this deal. Well, on the throne or off, he said, I'm going to marry you. If they stick on this, I'm ready to go. He literally in mid-November said that very thing to the prime minister. How shocking is this? The last abdication in Britain was in 1688. It was James II, and it was certainly not voluntary. He, like, fled the country in fear of his life. And they're like, oh, you left. You're left. You've abdicated. So not really an abdication, um, probably for saying things like this. Suppose there should be a law made that all black men should be imprisoned. It would be unreasonable. We have as little reason to quarrel with other men for being of different religious opinions as for being of different complexions. Uh, tolerance gets you abdicated. Uh, the fact that that was so far away in time, it blows my mind. Yes. Um, we also covered another pretty famous church v. king problem. 
in our coverage of Catherine of Aragon. That's episode 22. And Anne Boleyn, notoriousness follows. Noteworthy to fight with the church. Everyone, including David's mother, was digesting this news. Um, when David went on another one of his democratic walkabouts, you know, see the people, go into the mines, shake the hands, get the dirt on the face. I don't know what it was about that trip that made him change his mind. I don't the love of the common people for him, I guess, like realizing that all the bad feeling was kind of limited to the upper classes. Um, all the good he thought he could maybe do for them as king. He came back all fired up to stay with Wallace and kind of a battle ensued again. And Wallace had had suggested to her a way out of this mess for everybody. So the short explanation of a morganatic marriage which really hadn't been done in England for a long time. Uh, You're married to the king, but you're not the queen. You're a private person. You're not a royal person. You have no royal titles. You have no rank, unless your husband gives you one. Any children you have do not enter the line of succession. To me, and I think to Wallace, this did seem like having your cake and eating it too. You're, You're wearing the jewels. You're living in the palaces. You know everyone. You don't have to do all the boring stuff. I don't know what the downside is. (laughs) Well, unless you're David and you wanted her to have a crown on her head. Yeah, I don't see the downside of that one either. Everyone weighed in. The fighting got intense. One of David and Wallace's friends said they looked like two people who just wanted to get married innocently. And here Wallace is getting death threats in the mail and bricks were getting thrown through her window. There were threats that somebody was going to come kill her. Credible assassination threats. Um Credible assassination threats, but there was also one in there that was kind of a ruse that was set up by Parliament. Like, let's just see if this happens, you know, just keep it on the down low and send this out. Yeah. And you know what? I'm just going to put another quote in here. This is from H.G. Wells. Okay. He said of Wallace at this point, I never have yet heard one single word or suggestion that Wallace was anything but a perfectly honorable, highly intelligent and charmingly mannered woman. Why shouldn't the king marry her and make her his queen? Mrs. Simpson's far better fitted to be the king's wife than any possible bride that might be forced upon him to replace her. Well, too bad he didn't have a vote. (laughs) Then two things happened at the same time. The British press stopped being gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah. And the rejection of the morganatic marriage idea came down. It would take a special bill um, to pass for that to happen, and we're not going to do that bill, so... It's not an option for you, David. Parliament thought that if they agreed to a morganatic marriage, it would be a public apology for the poor quality of the king's choice. Wow. That was that was fun by some PR person, I think. <laughs> well, the storm broke. Imagine your life. Imagine your face, your past being raked up and commented on by quote, experts, by perfect strangers, really, by people hoping to sell papers. So you know what that does to the truth. Uh, Their country house, the fort, it was called, was not a retreat anymore. It was a prison. There were reporters and looky-loos and critics outside all the time. And Wallace had to flee to friends in France. Unfortunately, the press found her. Well, how could they they not find her? She left in the king's car. (laughs) So as the the king's car is leaving, you know, the press follows it and the the driver's doing those, you know, down a side street, down another side street, trying to shake them. And he couldn't because they were on him. This reminded me so much of Princess Diana. Yep. You know, I mean, as they're trying to flee London, 
because of all this turmoil and um, Wallace wouldn't fly. So she had to get on the ground from London to France um, with this horde after her, really. So all the way there to France, she would every stop just call David and beg him at every stop not to abdicate. Don't throw away your heritage. Don't throw away your country. I'm not worth it. This isn't worth it. This is ridiculous. You can't do it. And David was just convinced if he could just talk to the common people, he could convince them he was a man in love and they'd accept his wishes. He was based in reality with that because there was an element of the populace, the lower classes that thought that, you know, he's, he's a man, let him live his life. You know, that's fine. It's fine with them. So yeah, I think that the government thought so too. I think that the government... Because they said, no, that would be setting us against the people of the country, um, which is probably true. I think I think if he'd been allowed to speak to the people, he could have made a case because mm-hmm. he was charming. And, you know, they have loved him since he was a little boy. Right. And then what they've seen so far in this last you know, eight months as king, eight or nine months, is that he was visiting them. So they had hope that maybe he was the perfect ruler for them. So while Wallace cried and regretted and got even thinner in France, David asked the prime minister if he could push up the date for Wallace's divorce as part of an abdication. And the way was clear. And David and the prime minister sat on a sofa and cried together. Yeah. At the same time, Wallace had been making plans of her own. She decided that she would do what she could to end all this. And she actually wrote a letter. Um, There's some debate over whether she actually wrote it, but she signed it, sent to the prime minister that basically said, with deepest sorrow, Mrs. Simpson wishes to announce that she has abandoned any intention of marrying his majesty. Again, pretty clear. She's willing to withdraw her divorce petition to block him from marrying her. In fact, stay his mistress, flee to China, whatever it took to get free of this situation. And I want to ask if this sounds like a conniving, scheming social climber to you. There are responsible, respectable witnesses to all of this. Mm -hmm. This sounds like a desperately unhappy and trapped person to me, not the Wicked Witch of the West. She was doing everything in her power to try and make this stop and make him stay on the throne. But without telling her, David officially set things in motion to abdicate. The papers were sitting on his desk uh, to be signed um, before he called to tell her. And Wallace fell apart. She felt like she'd be the most hated woman in the world. And she wasn't wrong. This is probably a good time to take a break. And when we come back, we'll find out if they do have a happily ever after. Right. We are back on December 10th, 1936, at midnight. Edward VIII of England was no longer the king. There was a little uh, negotiating. He had to kind of have an exit interview 
with his brother, who was now king. They needed to talk about money. You know, how much was the government going to give David as an allowance? He was forced to give up his inherited properties, which totally makes sense because he got them because he was going to be king. Right. But he wasn't anymore. So that was done. He kind David kind of undervalued his personal wealth. He had money hidden in places, <laughs> um, although on paper he didn't look like he was worth all that much. But looking at the baubles that hung off of Wallace, you would get a totally different image, right? Right. They did settle on twenty five thousand pounds a year, which is kind of over two million now. That'll do. You would think so. His speech to the country afterward included. These famous words, you must believe me when I tell you I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. We'll put the video to that up on our show notes, but that's pretty famous. If anybody's ever heard anything about this, they've heard that particular portion of the speech. And he did go on to explain in that speech that Wallace, as he says, he calls her the other person most nearly concerned in the matter, had been trying to persuade him against it, that the decision was mine and mine alone. He was open about it. People just were in shock. Like, what has happened to the world? You know, remember that in England itself, the press hadn't really been covering this for very long. So it was all kind of a sudden shock out of nowhere. And I want to say that many of the common people felt, I guess, betrayed, maybe like thrown away. They had to grieve for a little while. Absolutely. And, and you can totally see where the hatred for Wallace would develop even stronger now. They have been dating for years. But like you said, the common person just found out about it. And now they've lost their king. Yeah. What do you do if you're David? You know, turn the microphone off. He's now the Duke of Windsor. He, in his head at this point, believes that he's going to leave England as was directed to him, and come back at some point and assume a role in government worthy of his status. He really believes that. So he kind of just takes off um, without his usual entourage. This is kind of a weird time for him because he was king. He had all those staff. And when he left, he didn't. He was just a guy on the road with no home. <laughs> I think that David thought he'd sort of go on like before, just with Wallace and without the responsibility and all the boring parts. But he was hemorrhaging friends like no tomorrow. Friends, in quotes. He was hemorrhaging hangers on like no tomorrow. Were they really his friends? I'm going to say no, Then They were there for the power and the glory. They were <laughs> there for the man. Exactly. So um, he had gone to Austria. Uh, Wallace and David had to stay apart until her divorce was final. Uh, or I guess it might get reneged. It seems like the cat's out of the bag on that one. Haven't we broken enough rules already that we just throw out the rule book? Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. They're crossing the T and dotting the I on that one. But um, people had literally celebrated Wallace's existence at their houses a couple months ago. And now they're all like, Wallace, who? How do you say Edward VIII? Who is this person? You know, obviously not their real friends, right? I mean, right. it's they're dirty. The, especially Emerald Cunard, I'm sorry to say. Uh, our American heiress that was Wallace's super good friend tried to act like she met her twice. Yeah. And everyone's like, girl, we saw you doing shots. Come on. <laughs> it was a royal ghosting for sure. God, so bad. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously not their real friends. So, you know, via Condios, whatever. But the press, of course, blamed Wallace for the whole thing because women get blamed for it. It should be noted that Ernest, 
of all people, wrote Wallace a note that was truly and heartfeltly, that's not a word, I know, sorry (laughs) for what she was going through. Ironic, I think, that her truest friend seems to be the one she wronged the most thoroughly. Yeah, he was such a nice guy. He was open-minded about everything, and that letter just continues to show, I mean, he really cared for her. Yeah. Well, I really do think David was under the impression he could just sort of slip back into life as like a spare brother. Everything's the same, but now I'm the king's brother and my brother's the king. Hey, presto. But he was slowly starting to realize this was not really going to happen. Wallace had felt the bad juju all along, you know, but David was sort of just now getting it. Like his own mother had hardened up at his, I don't know, what she saw as his lack of respect for the office, I guess I'd say, failing at duty, being an embarrassment. Yeah, well, I think it boils down to he was supposed to make this sacrifice in his personal life for his country, just like every soldier that gets wounded or killed in battle did. And David didn't do that. So she was, I would say, embarrassed, kind of like a parent would be ashamed of what their kid did yeah well and and i and david's part he was calling his brother like every day to just chat and see what's up and his his brother now the king was like dude no i'm not talking to you this is not going to work we need to separate you need to go your way and i need to rule this country that you left me and i am ill prepared for (laughs) poor old birdie his brother the king is like you can't still be the king This was your choice. You have to stop calling. In fact, I'm going to prohibit them from putting you through to me. You have to let it go. I don't want your advice. You have no say. You're nobody. You know, you can't have your cake and eat it too on this. The new king was determined to do a good job in the shadow of all this controversy and his more charming brother. I mean, admittedly. I mean, come on. David could hold a room. The new king had a stutter. The new king had not really planned on this happening. His wife, Queen Mom, as we're calling her, was angry at being thrust into this role, at the stress on her husband, the changes in her life. She did not sign up for this. All this scrutiny, all this duty, and now, of course, she's a responsible person. She's going to take it up, but she resents greatly being made to do so, I think. They kind of instituted the uh, the royal block button, kind of, you know, in modern language. Yeah. I mean, they just were done. You you kind of like exploded this place. You know that meme with the cat with the explosion behind it? That oh, was yeah. David. David was a cat just walking away. And he left all this calamity in his wake because of what he did. And they are the one that have to pick up the pieces. Well, Wallace and David wrote to each other almost every day. Um, they've been collected into a book, as a matter of fact. I'll cite that in the media section part of it covers this time period and it's a, it's an interesting read published after her death and this is where we learn that wallace called the queen mom cookie <laughs> because she looked like a fat cook she said and dressed like a rag bag yeah hilarious but among other things in those letters is a serious worry for david's future for her own future she was seen in public perhaps as domineering and harsh to him but david was sort of flailing Someone had to be strong. We've seen how strong gets perceived if you're a you're a woman, right? Like she's a bitch, she's bossy. Mm-hmm. She's a termagant. I want you to use that in a sense. I don't think I've ever even heard that word before. Termagant? Huh. 
excellent uh, vocabulary points. You know, you scored well above me on that vocabulary, that online vocabulary <laughs> quiz. <laughs> it was respectable, but it wasn't <laughs> as good as you guys. <laughs> so Wallace kept writing to Ernest throughout this whole period. Uh, she had a nickname for David, too, but she only used it with Ernest. She called David Peter Pan, the boy who never really had to grow up. Ouch. Mm. So here is the least maternal person on earth who has ended up with functionally a big child to take care of for the rest of her life. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so true. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people have taken those letters that she sent to Ernest and kind of, and I can see how it's easily done, you know, whipped it up that Ernest was the love of her life and she totally, you know, had left him and she would, but she still loved him. Which I know she did, but I don't know about the love of the life. I don't. Was is Wallace capable of that? I don't know. I think Win Spencer was the nail in the coffin on Wallace's true heart. That's what mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do too, completely. So that's what I'm saying. I don't know if she has the emotional um, range to deeply love someone that much. I mean, she can be fond, but I don't know that she could do it. Which is really sad in and of itself. I think her past life is kind of made her into this person that has to be protective of her heart and protect it and, you know, think ahead a couple steps to protect her future, kind of, uh, I guess. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And she was really good at that. See her social climbing <laughs> resume. Yeah. Look, plan ahead. Oh, yeah. Up until now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, Wallace's divorce was final in May. And David announced their engagement to the world the very next day. The very next day after their engagement, they listened to the coronation of the new king, George VI, and the new Queen Elizabeth on the radio. What a weird thing that might have been, right? I mean, they just used the old date. Oh, I know. that. Well, the, the party was already in the works for David's coronation. There's actually memorabilia out there from David's coronation. It's out in the world. Ooh. Yeah, because it was starting to be produced. But then they just kind of had to switch things around and change the pictures and change the title and get everything else out. So as far as party planning goes, they really kicked Heine to get to that May coronation date for George VI. I really, really, really want an Edward VIII coronation teacup. <laughs> yeah, I, I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that's going to be a pricey item, but. Dang it, you're not going to find it at the thrift store is what you're saying. No, should we start a GoFundMe so you can get a teacup? <laughs> <laughs> I could probably just paint one. be easier. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so um, they upped the stakes on the coronation this time, though. Sort of um, made it more of a grand spectacle than it would have been to counteract David's, I guess they called it, tainting of the royal image. Well, on to the next major ceremony. <laughs> we've come all this way and we've walked through fire to get here. I guess it was time for the wedding. They had been staying at this beautiful chateau, the Chateau de Candé in France. Wallace had signed a prenup. I'm just going to say this proves she wasn't out to trick David out of all his money, which seems to be all his family thought of her. An adventurous, they called her. So, no. I'll go out with the money I have. You go out with the money you have. Seems pretty legitimate to me. Yeah, me too. When they'd sent out the, you know, the invitations, they had imagined that it would be this big family wedding, you know, a big family thing. But one by one, everyone associated with the royal family sent their kindest uh, regards that they could not attend. And eventually the king actually forbid anyone from the royal family from attending the wedding. That's harsh. 
super harsh. I think him saying nobody is allowed to go is kind of his way of saying, look, I am king. I'm in charge here. He caused all this drama. We can't even associate with him. And none of you can. He had to establish himself as the king, right? And that's a pretty kingly move, I would say. I think it's a dick move. You do. But oh. I do. It is the wedding of your freaking brother. Maybe the king doesn't have to go. I could see that. But like no one in the royal family is allowed to go. Your younger brothers can't go. I mean, it just seems from the royal side, that's the level of betrayal. Mm. It's like when you have a breakup, you have to like a really long relationship breaks up. You kind of have to assume that they're dead. You can't run into them for a while. Right. So that's kind of the same thing. Is this the like dividing of the couple friends thing? Oh, definitely the dividing of the couple friends. Yeah. And Mm. uh, King George got the family. (laughs) Well, David never saw it coming. He never did, Um, though. It seemed like Wallace did. He always seems to live in this rosy glow of oblivion and cannot believe his family would act like this. Whereas Wallace is like those people. Are you kidding me? That's kind of her like. Of course they're going to act like that. But David's like, no, this is my family. Unfortunately, he does realize, but he, he's just not there yet. It's so crazy to me. But not only no. that, although the new king had created David, his royal highness, the Duke of Windsor, upon her marriage, where she's supposed to take the rank of her husband, tradition and law state. As a matter of fact, I think at this point, wives had to take the name of their husbands. There's none of this like... Ms. Maiden name. The new duchess would not be called her royal highness. It was unprecedented that she would not be called her royal highness. It was a vicious slap in the face to deny a husband's status to his wife. Yeah, and David is the one that felt that the most, that slap, because he lost his crap when that came down. He broke down crying, and I think Mm -hmm. a little piece of his hope got finally chipped off his heart. I was wondering what it was going to take. I'm like, dude, How many times? But this is what it took, I guess. Well, at last, David and Wallace were married in the beautiful music room of the Chateau with friends. They weren't all alone. Um, Her wedding dress was a special, never been given to another client, blue that the designer Mainbacher had created just for her called Wallace Blue. That dress is so simple and so beautiful. It's at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, actually. Curiously, it's no longer blue. Isn't that weird? What is it now? Faded to white? Yeah, chemistry, man. It's white. (laughs) Yeah. Well, obviously, we'll put a picture of that up on the website. But it was a fitted dress, and she had a tight, cropped jacket over her. It was perfect for her figure, and it just looks like it was painted on almost. How significant are you when your wedding dress is at the Metropolitan Museum of Art? Well, I think it's pretty significant to have a color named after you. (laughs) So the Metropolitan Museum of Art, speaking of that, has a Pinterest board called The Wedding, a visual feast. And there are other wedding dresses in there from different eras. But um, I think Wallace Simpsons might be the only one actually attached to a notable figure that's there. Well, designers had competed to make this dress. Uh, Chanel didn't make it. Chaparelli didn't make it. Although Chaparelli did make a lobster dress designed with Salvador Dali also, by the way. And it seemed to be a shocking dress. It had a, a red lobster in a very provocative place. Uh, it's one of my favorite things she owns. I don't know why it was so scandalous. Like, it looked like her hoo-hoo or something. <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to look at it and see. What... Well, 
I mean, it just whenever there's a new fashion like that that could be, you know, perceived as, um, you know, stripper wear kind of thing, it's always a shock. Remember the first time that women celebrities were wearing those dresses that were cut down to their belly button and they glued them to their body so that they didn't flap open? It was so scandalous, but now you see it everywhere. Well, this is just literally a printed on lobster. Okay, well, whatever. They, um... <laughs> Chaparelli actually uh, re-released a version of this dress this year. People who did know are like, homage, homage to the 30s. They knew. It was a pretty famous dress. But anyway, Chaparelli didn't make the wedding dress. Um, despite the royal family's snubbing, it was a happy day. It was a happy day. By French law, you have to have, even now, a civil ceremony, like a government ceremony. That's the real one. That's the one that counts. And then if you if you want to have a religious one, you know, layer that on too, but it's not required. Um, actually, it had been hard to find a minister willing to marry them because in addition to the king, I'm sorry, being a dick, the Archbishop of Canterbury had kind of also been one. I'm not going to say that when I refer to the Archbishop of Canterbury. No. He had put it out that it was a no-go area, but they did find one brave soul to perform their ceremony. So two ceremonies later, actually, hooray, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor we're in the house or dans le chateau. <laughs> I, I love, you know what? She had a coin from uh, the coronation that never was in her shoe. A very traditional bride. Ah, and her dress was blue. That's something blue. Mm-hmm. And I think she borrowed some lace from Aunt Bessie. And that was the borrowed and old. Oh, there you go. Well, and there was a certain degree of fairy tale ending, at least in America. One of our own is a princess. We'll see that a little bit later when Princess Grace becomes a princess, you know. Ah, oh, me. Well, the whole world would watch from now on to see if it had all been worth it. That's some pressure. This reminds me of the Hunger Games when Katniss, <laughs> Katniss has to keep pretending to love PETA to save her bacon. Just like Wallace, I mean, you're on the train now. You're living out the greatest romance of the entire world. A man gave up a kingdom, an empire for you. <laughs> so here's Katniss having to love Peter to save her life. And here's Wallace, I mean, really, despite her feelings, is going to have to love this man in public to save her life, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she has to make it work because... It would have been all for naught if it appeared as a really bad marriage. Well, Wallace is starting to realize that she herself alone is going to have to take the place of England, his entire family, centuries of history, and pretty much all of his friends. That She's replacing all of that. If that's not a trapped feeling, if that's not a feeling of having to climb a mountain, I don't know what it is, that... It's a complicated beginning to everything. I think her feelings were complicated. And the royal family of England started this, I have to say, kind of a campaign against them. We saw the opening shot with the forbidding of the marriage, you know, attendance. And Wallace, I think, was already expecting this to some degree. But David just kept getting slapped over and over and over. The ignoring, the leaving out, the forbidding of honors. I mean, I don't know really what he thought was going to happen, except maybe they'd come around after the shock wore off, but they never did. The Queen Mother called Wallace nothing more than that woman, and his mother persisted in calling her Mrs. Simpson. And another female relative was quoted as saying, I hope she really enjoys her bathroom, because that's the only throne she'll ever sit on. Ha ha ha. That, that was my royal laugh. It was pretty lame. <laughs> 
I mean, geez, you guys, you won. You won, right? I thought there was all this graciousness. No. You don't have to really like them, but can't, you cannot hold it in. I just, I'm getting irritated at them. And I'm not even David and I'm not even Wallace, but I can tell you if your husband is in pain because his family is being dirtbags, I mean, Wallace is mad on his behalf. Oh, yeah. Well, she was mad on her own because they snubbed her the whole time. So like you had been said a couple times, this was not a surprise to her. Uh, the feeling of betrayal was just too great for them, I guess. And, and they were scared, this is my opinion, that David would be kind of a duplicate king. Like he had the look, right? He had the history. He had the charm. At least half the people's goodwill to come live in England, walking around, being him, taking attention away from the proper king. And I guess they had to make sure he stayed away. They had to make sure he stayed down. And this next move of David's seems crazy. <laughs> Given what they've just been through, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor traveled to Germany on a visit that ultimately included a visit with Hitler. <laughs> it wasn't an official state visit, obviously, because he's not a representative of the kingdom. But um, in his head, he thought it was kind of a backdoor, you know, kind of state business. Maybe we can smooth over things. Maybe I can, you know, do some diplomacy while I'm there. It'll be great. They'll see what I can do. Uh, maybe they'll give me a good job. And wow, no. <laughs> Meanwhile, as far as official channels were concerned, David might as well have been Dennis Rodman going to North Korea. Well, I mean, I don't even know. What does it all mean? You'll read everything from he's a spy to Nazi sympathizers to dumb <laughs> Like, honestly... <laughs> It seems like no one can agree on how serious this was. We talked about earlier the English position is, even now, right before what we know is World War II is about to happen. They're like, peace at any price. You know, yes, you've got David on film doing the Nazi salute. He said it was just like when you're in China and you bow. You do what people do at the place. It's polite. It's protocol. Um, I'm going to direct you for analysis of this back to the 17 carnations book again and just that tell you they visited factories and officials they were likely used as photo ops to bolster the legitimacy of the nazi regime i guess and british officials had visited both before the windsors and after them to try to keep the peace so it's not like an unprecedented thing to do it's not like he's their friend and went like no one ever had, because that's not true. But yes, I can see how the king, already jumpy about David taking over or like beating him or whatever, um, what, he'd hate this. He'd hate this. Like David and Wallace weren't even met by the British ambassador in Germany. He was forbidden to take notice of their visit. They were given no official advisors that could tell them how bad this was. They were flailing on their own. So it's kind of the king's fault, too. Well, David had no advisors at all. At least when he was, you know, a king and even as a prince, he had people that were that would give them smart opinions. But he didn't have anybody except Wallace at this point that he could trust. So, yeah, I, I'm going with um, option C that you gave before, that it was just a stupid boneheaded move to go there. Well, and for Wallace's part, and this is a very small thing, I think she was a lot less concerned about than he was. But everyone in Germany called her Her Royal Highness. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that was another point in the pro column for David going because his wife would be treated like royalty when he was there. He knew that so she could have that experience. So he got it. It was super fancy. 
and she was treated amazingly, but yikes. <laughs> Forget curtsying. The Germans gave her courtesy, which the royal family of Britain never had. It had been quite a while since anyone had treated her with this much respect. So it was bad optics. Anyway, even if it was innocent, David's wanting to do some good. The government of Germany liked him, you know, as a private citizen. Maybe I can build some bridges over here. Although later he said, I acknowledge with too many other well-meaning people, I let my admiration for the good side of German character dim what was being done to it by the bad. I thought the rest of us could just sit on the fence while the Nazis and the Reds slugged it out. He kind of admitted that he had, this is after the war, that he had misinterpreted the whole situation, I think. And he wasn't alone. No, no, not at all. But he, and to a lesser extent, Wallace wanted to be of service somehow. Somehow. I don't want to, I don't want to just languish. A planned visit to America shortly afterward was squashed by the king as well. You can't come back home. You can't go on these parallel diplomatic missions. You can't visit any member of the royal family. So I guess it was just exile in Paris. Like you made your bed. Now lie in it. It was humiliating for him, I think. And I think at this point, David was still thinking that that two year mark, right? That once they got to two years, that things would have calmed down enough back in England that he could go back. So they pretty much cooled their heels in Paris and in France for two full years. She said about making an alternative reality for them both. They led a life that I would really like. Dinner parties, coziness. You know, they're sitting on the sofa. There's the fireplace reading. Um, They've bought dogs. There's fabulous interior design. There's pink wine. I mean, come on. (laughs) She was actually named one of the 10 best dressed women in the world in 1938. Yeah. That's how popular she still is, you know, to the press. Here is a critical element that I think her servants loved her. And I'm always firmly in the court that you can tell a lot about someone by how they treat waiters or salespeople or, in days gone by, servants. So, yes, Wallace was developing quite the bitter and hardened shell. I'm not, (laughs) you know, don't get me wrong, but somewhere still that nugget of solid gold, I think. Um, She could hold a room with fun and with humor and and wit, and she was trying to make this little universe for them both that was kind of glittering to, you know, a shiny thing to take Mm -hmm. the attention off his troubles with his family. Well, along came the war, World War II, and David immediately put himself at his brother's disposal for England. Anything I can do, put me to work. I am your man. Um, Wallace and David were summoned to London, and after a completely I'm sorry, Queen Elizabeth, your dad here, where no one picked them up at the dock, no one offered them a place to stay. I know. David, uh, even though he volunteered to work with a unit in Wales, he was the Prince of Wales. Wales seemed natural to him. He was assigned to a unit in France, like out of the country, and back they went. Wallace later wrote, this was tragic, that David's humble offer of help was allowed to go to waste, out of jealousy. So uh, did we stop and discuss that? Was it jealousy or was it the king saying, I'm not going to make anything that looks like you have a position in this regime, I guess. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give you a public position because of what you did. Is it jealous? I don't know. Or is it just good king? Okay, so I don't know. I guess I am finding through this whole thing that so much of this trauma could have been prevented 
even after the abdication, by a little more gracious behavior and forgiveness. Oh, I have to agree. I will agree with that 1000%. And if we, the king, the new king, are the respectable head of the Church of England, which seemed to be the whole problem with David in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. We should exhibit as an example the greatest degree of forgiveness, as I believe that would have been a better pathway. Yes, I can agree with that. So that's all I'm saying. I don't know if it's jealousy. I don't know what the motivation was. Um, The degree and length of the punishment did not fit the crime as far as I'm concerned. But then again, I wasn't there. I didn't get pulled out of my cozy private home with my wife and two daughters and made to do a job that I felt unfit for. You know what? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not that guy. I guess I, I, I can only see it from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> you were spot on. Well, Wallace herself in France participated in supply drives. She volunteered to make up, they called them comfort packets for soldiers, you know, um, socks, cigarettes, a scarf, a hat, um, some cookies. I guess they were biscuits. I still can't get my head around that. And um, she even learned to knit so she could make some of these things herself. And she bought games and records and gramophones and books for soldiers in hospitals. And brace yourself for this. She delivered medical supplies and plasma to units at field hospitals near the front in her own car. How about that? I this this part totally shocked me. She was a major part of the war effort. I mean, it's not like she was doing this for a photo op at all. She would get in her uniform every morning and go do work, actual work for the war effort. And that was, you know, she did what she could. But this is amazing to me. I know. And wounded soldiers just loved her. They wanted to have their pictures taken with her. It's Proto selfie time. I mean, obviously, you're not getting your film back for a while, which is super sad. And you can't put it on Instagram, but you've got a picture of yourself with Wallace Simpson and you're a soldier. That's a big deal. She made friends. She made friends. Well, when Paris fell to the Nazis, Wallace and David had to flee. First, they just went south, then over to Spain, finally landing. It was supposed to be just for an overnight at a house of a banker in Lisbon, Portugal. This banker turned out to be a known Nazi sympathizer, but I honestly think they they just needed the bed and he was in the right place and knew a guy. I just don't think that has anything to do with it. Although they they keep running into these people who are Nazi sympathizers that they're associated with in this way, however casually. But they were surrounded by informants. (laughs) Their most casual of words were reported back to both England and over to Germany. Um, The guard around the house just one by one was replaced with guards that were sympathetic to the German cause. You guys. David, to get him out of the way, uh, was created the governor general of the Bahamas and ordered by his brother to go there immediately. I mean, Winston Churchill even threatened him with a court-martial if he didn't go. Reportedly at this time, there might have been a plot, a German plot hatching. The Germans planned to either convince or kidnap David and Wallace with the thought of putting him slash them back on the throne, quote, when the German cause triumphs. Oh, history is so scary, man. I know. I know. Wasn't that one of the reasons why they weren't allowing David any um, visibility or role is because they were afraid of that very thing happening. The king and his advisors, (laughs) the real king now, King George, you know, they were afraid of 
that very thing happening, that David would become, you know, a puppet king for Hitler. So crazy. Although, wouldn't you think you'd want him at home then? Under my eye where I could see him? Sure. Definitely. Instead of wandering the wilds of occupied France. And mad at you at that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wallace and David did get out in time. They did. And off they went to take up their new post, preceded by this telegram from the office of the king. A lady is to perform a half curtsy when presented to his royal highness, the Duke of Windsor. The duchess is not entitled to this. (laughs) Okay, that's a dick move. (laughs) Come on now. Everyone keeps harping on this. So much ill will could have been avoided with the king just giving in on this one thing. Golly. I know. Constant irritation. And I don't get it. Oh, and all this isolation. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It seems so petty. I keep harping on that too. See? Yeah. That's what people harp on. <laughs> I know. What is the king so afraid of? <laughs> so anyway, um, even the some ambassador level people were kind of quietly to their own friends saying, it's a pity the royal family can't behave with common decency to the duke. You expect frigidity and he deserves mm-hmm. that. But civility costs nothing. And might certainly be given. And if given, would at least deprive him of one grievance that is well merited. So he agreed with you. <laughs> he put it more diplomatically than I did. And since he's a diplomat, that only makes sense. <laughs> I read one statistics can be played with, but 61% of the populace of England thought that David should be allowed to come back to England. Oh, that is a majority. That is quite a majority. But no, instead, they packed up their 52 pieces of luggage, a sewing machine, a set of golf clubs, four baskets of Madeira and port wines, a limousine, three can terriers, and set off on an American ship to the Bahamas. Which sounds very nice to me, except I'm not wearing wool and it's not 100 degrees with no air conditioning. Well, for the whole duration of the war, David and Wallace were in the Bahamas, which does sound nice, but they didn't think so. David's pride was hurt for one thing, and Wallace referred to their time there as their own personal Elba. That's um, referring to Napoleon's own exile on an island. I have to mention at last a good thing. Please, can we? Huh. <laughs> the Windsors, I mean, you know, the Bahamas There is right by Miami, right? Like right there. They um, went over for a little medical procedure and they got an ecstatic welcome in America. They met the president Though not the British ambassador, which is gross because he was forbidden from seeing them. Among other things, I just love this. Wallace got to return to Baltimore, which is the best high school reunion return ever. Like, hello, nice to see you. I'm a duchess. I live in the Bahamas. How about you? Delicious. <laughs> like, And she's married to a man who loves her so much. You know, she has a, a good marriage, right? This fairy tale marriage. That's exactly how you want to go back for your high school reunion. So that was super good. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people turned out to see them. I kind of wish they had felt like they could move to America. I feel like Americans go crazy for titles. Look how we are with Kate Middleton. Mm-hmm. Like what's she ever done for us? And we love her. So uh-huh. I just think, man. The if onlys. Okay. Well, anyway, in the Bahamas, once they get back, Wallace, I'm sure, drank a fair amount of cocktails, as you do, but she also worked diligently with the Red Cross. She focused on poverty, unwed mothers, 
infant mortality. She felt like that was a cause she could really make a difference on, providing supplies for a program that was already in place. I I just think that's amazing. Even when she had been in America, she called on stores, yes, to buy her wardrobe, but she also called on the buyers to convince them to start carrying coral jewelry that the people in the Bahamas were making. And so she was trying to give the common people of the Bahamas a way to make some money, like open up a trade in that jewelry, like making it fashionable or whatever, which I thought was kind of forward thinking. I do, too. And I thought she did a great job as the governor's wife. I mean, she got in and and did things. It wasn't like she just sat back and filed her nails and drank martinis for the five years that they were there. She actually did stuff. I I was so impressed by that. And David seemed to handle things political and crises natural with a good spirit and technique. And in my mind, that sort of proved they could have been an asset, if not the king and queen. She created from scratch, you guys, a sort of restaurant slash hotel slash club for wounded soldiers that she worked in herself. I'm talking short order cooked up people's eggs, refilled drinks, made people's freaking pancakes, sat with people at their table and talked about their day. Uh, I have to tell you, she doesn't have to do any of that stuff. And she creates programs from scratch. I just think that's so admirable. She thought it was admirable too. She said, when this war is over, I shall feel that I accomplished a lot, which is better than sitting here hating our life, which I kind of find almost unbearably sad. I know. Yeah. She, but she, I mean, we have to comment, though, that she did complain the governor's house was too small for her and they had to redo the whole thing. And um, she said that the American visitors were kind of boring. You know, she did say those things, too. <laughs> but on the other hand, she's so multidimensional. That's that's the one thing I took away from this particular uh, research is the dimensions of this woman. You know, she's coming back to her too small house after serving at the canteen, you know. <laughs> Right. Although I can't blame her. Can we caulk this crack in the wall so that the lizards don't crawl over me while I'm sleeping? (laughs) So I can't blame her for all of the (laughs) problems with the house and everything. But you're right. She was a 360 degree person. This is probably a good time to take a break and we'll find out what happens at the end quadrant of their lives. So we are back and the war is over. Their war is over. The stint in the Bahamas is over. And they were pretty rootless after that job was over. (laughs) Yeah, well, they weren't allowed back into England still. And David was never given anything else official to do. Wallace wrote that she was very frightened during the first years back in France. She was kind of finding it hard to replace the red boxes of days gone by. Uh, You try living out a great romance, she said to one of her friends. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's a statement that can't actually be relatable to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it's so tough. So sorry. You have to remember, she's almost 50 at this point. Yeah. And we're entering into this kind of couch surfing years where they would go from one friends to until they wore out their welcome to another. They'd be on cruise liners for great chunks of time. Um, it's kind of like a dream vacation, right? What are you going to do when you retire? Oh, I'm going to travel. Well, that's kind of all they did. I'm kind of cracking up that you said couch surfing because they're in Newport in those <laughs> mansions. They're at Grand Resorts. They're on people's yachts. It's not like they're sleeping on the height of it. No. <laughs> but get this. David was not invited to his own mother's 80th birthday celebrations. Wallace was disinvited to Princess Elizabeth's wedding, and therefore David wouldn't go either. And I will, I'm going to give somebody credit right here. David's sister, her name is Mary. We'll call her Princess Mary, although she's the Countess of Harewood now. But Princess Mary finally cracked on that one. And she stayed away from that wedding, too, in protest. She put out the fiction that she was ill, but the reason she didn't go is that she thought this was completely unfair. Um, and it also should be said that Princess Mary, his sister, never gave up on him or on Wallace and visited them all the time. She's the only one. So Princess Mary is exempt from any of my grumpiness from here on. <laughs> okay. So I'm just saying, like when I say the family with an asterisk, shaped right. like Princess Mary. Okay. So when the king died, Wallace was disinvited to the funeral. Not only had his brother died, which of course was horrible, but the family now seemed to think that with the death of the king, David was no longer entitled to that allowance anymore, and he had to really kind of abase himself and beg for that money. And not one of the three, you know, big royal women, the new Queen Elizabeth II, the Queen Mum, or his own mother would see Wallace either. They wouldn't receive her. They wouldn't accept her presence at any family events. The Christmas cards came to him only. Gross. Wallace and David ended up having to watch Elizabeth II's coronation on TV. And that scene is covered so well on the show The Crown. Oh my gosh. Just the surreal nature of it. His eagerness to watch it. The pain that he's just not there. He... That actor plays it so well. He's so innocent. He is he's so excited to explain the procedures to everyone and and Wallace is hurting for him and it's really sad. Well, when Queen Mary, his own mother, died, Wallace was forbidden from the funeral. And that he himself could come to the funeral, but you're not going to be allowed to come to the family dinner afterward. That was so harsh. <laughs> I do not blame him for calling Queen Elizabeth and the Queen Mom, quote, ice-veined. Like, what is it going to take? How much punishment is ever going to be enough? And I actually find myself wondering, if he had known how everything was going to go down, would he do it again? Uh, that's a question for the ages. I don't know. I know he loved Wallace with the fire of a thousand suns or whatever, but I just, I kind of think he wouldn't. I really do. You know, she always wanted to be the mistress anyway, and I think it might have been better for them both if, say, he just never married. 
But then, of course, we wouldn't have Kate Middleton. We wouldn't have George or Charlotte or Princess Di. Or we'd have Queen Elizabeth too, but we wouldn't have her record-breaking reign. No. And we might have lost England during World War II, right? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Or we might have had an optimistic people's king who never got bitter, that people loved very much, whose family deferred to him and seemed to love him a lot. Yeah, this is where great debates are held. Yeah, I don't know. But I'll tell you this. Queen Mom held Wallace responsible forever, for the rest of her life, for her husband's death. Because in her eyes, she saw that Wallace was the reason why her husband was put on the throne and the whole family was thrown into so much stress. That's why Wallace wasn't invited to anything at this period of time. Although or ever. the tobacco fields of freaking Turkey that you could really blame for his death since he died of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Or maybe is it her viewpoint that he smoked so much more because he was stressed out? Yeah, I think that's what I was leaning towards oh, that he was okay. so stressed. Yeah. But I mean, it's the 19, you know, 40s and 50s. Everybody was smoking a lot. Yeah. You're happy, have a cigarette. You're sad, have a cigarette. You're stressed, have a cigarette. You're pregnant, have a cigarette. Have two, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to the reality that actually happened um, during the 50s and 60s. Wallace again created for her David a world as close to the good parts of being the king as she could. So beautiful houses, plural, luxury, entertaining, travel, what I call rich people eccentricities like having your bed made seconds before you get into it because wrinkles are bad. You know, like you're allowed to be kind of crazy, I think. I mean, it's amazing to me. I was reading some servants stories. How many of the upper class in England couldn't bear to eat an egg if the yolk wasn't exactly in the center? (laughs) Really? You can't, but evidently it was a big, giant deal. Poor old kitchen maids had to sit there stirring, 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 stirring to get the centrifugal force on that egg so the yolk would be in the middle. (laughs) So we're wallowing in that kind of thing. Um, Gracious living, I guess I'd call it. They were key members of what was known as cafe society. The hoity and the toity. You'd call them the jet set, except Wallace isn't about to get on a plane. But... um, Wallace still, and for a total of about four decades, was considered one of the best-dressed women in the world. So living well, best revenge, I just don't know. I don't know. It seemed almost kind of uh, lonely. Yeah. I mean, they had no purpose. I mean, they just were free-falling, kind of. There was no... (laughs) There was a target. It's the ground. They're going to hit it eventually. But they're just... There's no purpose. I mean, at least when... During the war, you know, she was working... For the war effort, she had all she's working for after that is to make sure that her pictures in the society pages. And she's getting upset when people like Marilyn Monroe bump her from the page. It's like, what? How did that happen? I don't know how upset she was or if it was more like people liked to put things in her mouth. Kind of. Mm, I see. Okay. Like the rumors of separation, people were like gleefully hawk watching both of them for any hint of. I mean, you can't walk around your whole life with a happy face on. And Wallace doesn't really have a happy resting face anyway. (laughs) You know what I mean? She's going to kind of, she has a little RBF. And so even if you're joyful inside, people are going to think, I mean, for years, even she said, you know, the rumors of our separation have been going on for two decades now. Can we just lay that to rest? Yeah, because couples do fight. Even in really good marriages, they still disagree. And if somebody overhears that, yeah. 
When Wallace was 60, she published her memoirs called The Heart Has Its Reasons. It sold really very well. People were very interested in the behind the scenes. It does contain a certain amount of fiction, but mine would too, Wallace. <laughs> she also was like making designer um, patterns under her name for people to make clothes that kind of sort of maybe looked a little bit like hers. <laughs> That's pretty creative. That's nice. I know she was a style icon and she was she kind of got uh, her foot in that particular world that way. Now, how much is hers and how much was somebody else's? I don't know. She did lend her name to it. And Wallace also began to write a column for McCall's magazine. And in the very, very first one, she canvassed that old feud again. She said, I wish to make it clear at the outset that none of this is written with venom or bitterness, although 24 years of persecution, even in small ways, are more than enough to break anybody's spirit. My husband has been punished like a small boy who gets a spanking every day of his life for one single transgression. I think the monarchy's lack of dignity toward him then, and occasionally now, has been resented. And oh, woo, that was. Literally just to embarrass the royal family. I think the gloves are off. One writer said, this could have caused a major rift. And I'm like, boy, the rift was already there. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Well, um, it's pretty ridiculous at this point. Like when an uncle says a thing at Thanksgiving dinner 20 years ago and no one talks to him. Well, there was a little thawing, but not until Wallace was 69 years old. David had to have surgery and his niece, Queen Elizabeth the second was advised that public opinion thought she should pay him a visit at the hospital. This sounds like the Princess Di funeral thing, doesn't it? Like the optics are, ma'am, you should make an appearance. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it? A little bit. Well, she did, and she graciously decided to say yes to David's request that he and Wallace could be buried together in England when the time came in the family plot. Please. He said, oh, my God, do you want to cry about that? Like the pitiful, sad request. Can I please, when I die, come back then? Yeah. Sad. And, well, there's your little touch of kindness. Too little, way too late. Well, this visit seemed to open up some others. I guess it was waiting for permission from everyone. And that same year, I'm sorry to say... The one loyal member of the family, Princess Mary, died, and both Wallace and David attended her memorial service to a silent, standing ovation when they walked in. The might have been is rising up in my chest. I feel sad. 2,500 people stood up for them when they came in. What was all this for? I just like feel... I feel, why am I feeling so upset? Like, I don't really care, whatever, but like, this is sad. Well, because well, you're, you're playing it out like a movie in your head. And, you know, that's the end of the movie. They're being treated like trash for so many years. And then they find out that they're respected in the big closing scene with the dramatic music is walking into the church and having everyone stand. And there's not a dry eye in the house. Hmm. Well, and here I am, like... <laughs> The lovely queen mom that I always liked before this research is the hilly Holbrook of England, I guess. I don't... <laughs> God dang. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it's the help. Highly recommend on audiobook. <laughs> but um, David was going downhill fast. Uh, cancer got a hold of him. And uh, he was surrounded by a few friends and loyal servants. And 
Wallace, who was holding his hand nearly all the time there at the end. He was obviously on his deathbed. And David died on May 28, 1972. He was 77 years old. Wallace, also 77. Telegrams poured in from the likes of President Nixon, from the President of France, leaders all over the world. People gathered at the British Embassy, outside the gates, to cry and leave messages, and people were grieving. And the Queen of England sent this telegram. I know that my people will always remember him with gratitude and great affection, and that his services to them in peace and war will never be forgotten. Wow. This really grabs your heart, doesn't it? I think, yeah, the violins <laughs> began to play. I, I felt, yeah, rising up, the feelings. Between the time that he abdicated and now, he was kind of like that boyfriend that you don't remember all the bad parts of him. The people of England were just remembering the good parts and filling in the blanks as, over time as they saw necessary. So when he left, you know, that was a big thing in their heart. You know, he was the guy that could have been and wasn't. And wow, now he's gone. Oh, yeah, I guess that's pretty emotional. Yeah, that is pretty emotional. Well, Wallace was invited to stay at Buckingham Palace for the funeral. For four days, these 36-year enemies were under the same roof. And I will say, she later found the humor in the situation, made fun of the Queen Mum's hat and dress, calling her a rag bag with an arrow stuck through her head. Um, at the time, in shock, she went through the ceremonies determined to be as tough as his family. She wrote, I promised myself I would wear the same expression they had on their faces, all of them that didn't care. And no one in the family even went with her to the airport afterward. Yeah, that's the part. That, yeah, they were under the same roof, but it was a very big roof. And I think it was very cold inside. I think she had a friend with her. I know her hairdresser came and I hope he was yeah. one of those guys she could talk to because. <sighs> yeah, no kidding. She, he had to have been because he he was with her for a very long time, right? Well, and he'd offered to come and she's like, no, that's silly. And then she had a second thought. Yes, in fact, please do come. And she had another couple of friends with her too. So I don't know. I hope they were in the house. But a couple of years of sharp decline followed. The inevitable, it seems like, breaking of a hip. Though I will say the second time she broke it, doing the Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> In the hospital, right? She was showing it off. So I like that a lot. But um, <laughs> she began acting kind of confused. She'd have these flashbacks or fugue states where she seemed like she was perfectly lucid. But she would talk about David as if he were in the next room. She'd warn him not to abdicate, which is sort of alarming. Mm -hmm. um, even worse, Wallace sort of fell victim to her private secretary, one Mrs. Schutz, who isolated her. and mistreated her and started keeping her from any friends who tried to visit. And then she was fired by Wallace's French lawyer, who sort of kept up the same practice, though I read that in her case, it was more like Wallace would not have wanted people to see her like this. Yeah, I was I am honestly on the fence about how to feel about her. Her name is Suzanne Bloom. And um, she like you'll read a lot of things where she sold off all of their valuables, but there was debt. So it had to be paid somehow. Right. Um, so uh, and, and like you said, Wallace wouldn't have wanted to be seen in such a feeble condition that she was. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on the fence on her. 
it's kind of like that thing that was happening with the now defunct Richard Simmons podcast where everybody was thinking that his housekeeper was keeping him prisoner. Right. That he was sick and somebody had taken over power of attorney and was not treating him very well, Um, which is really a giant invasion of privacy. But um, I'm glad people are keeping an eye out, I guess. But anyway, that really was happening in Wallace's case. And toward the end, Wallace was pretty lonely and blind and very, very, very sick. And she died on April 24th, 1986, officially of complications of pneumonia. She was 89 years old. Now, she did have a memorial service in Paris, and like was promised to her, she was buried alongside David in the royal family plot, and the royal family did attend her funeral. I I can't get over how many years. David died in 72. She died in 86. Mm -hmm. And all those years, I mean, she just like, plummeted downhill her brain was sort of kind of functioning but her body had totally crapped out on her and she was really in this bed at the mercy of anybody that could help her for all those years that just seems so terribly sad for a woman who just a few years before broke her hip doing the charleston i know i wish there were a happier <laughs> ending or a more um i don't know Karma-like ending. I was actually very worried they would renege on that promise and yes. not let her be buried there. But there didn't seem to be any difficulty about that at all. I mean, they had to move a bush or whatever that had grown up a little bit bigger than it was supposed to, but no real difficulty. Mm-hmm. Well, at last, I guess David and Wallace were finally at peace. The war, such as it was, was over. And now it's time for media, and I would like to start with something that became a book, but started out as a play. It really, really dovetails with what we just talked about, about the end of Wallace's life. It's The Darkness of Wallace Simpson by Rose Tremaine. It is the story of the last 10 years-ish of Wallace Simpson's life. She is infirm. She has a mysterious voice who is trying to convince her that she married a king and all she can remember is her earlier life, which doesn't seem to match up with the person telling her the, the last part of her story at all, which she cannot remember. Ooh, it's very disturbing. Did you see the play? No, no, no. I read the short story. Oh, oh, okay. I was like, oh, I never saw that one. That would be cool. Yeah. So that's amazing. So that has been turned into a book and it is now in a book of short stories. So there's that. Now, um, I'm going to give you my top two books, and then I'll let you go, and then I'll have a couple more. But um, <laughs> My guess, your top two books are probably the same as my top two books, but go ahead. Okay. My number one book is called The Duchess of Windsor, The Uncommon Life of Wallace Simpson by Greg King. Um, also my number one book. <laughs> oh, good. And then a book more about him than her, The People's King, The True Story of the Abdication by Susan Williams. Um, which seems like it would be super dry, and it's a whole book about one year, but really did give me quite a bit of insight as to his state of mind um, and what exactly was happening with Wallace and the royal family during that time. I found those very good. There's also another one that I liked called The Windsor Story by J. Bryan Mm -hmm. III and Charles Murphy. Um, Yeah, I like that one. And it seems like I like how they say on the back cover, J. Bryan III knew the Windsor socially. 
Okay. Well, There's another one along that same vein. It's called Behind Closed Doors by Hugo Vickers, who was an experienced British biographer. And it kind of it's towards the, the latter part of her life, pretty much. Um, And there's a lot of first person by the author in it. But there's little nuggets in there that you can pull out. And then, of course, her memoirs, The Heart Has Its Reasons, and his memoirs called A King's Story. Memoirs have an element of fiction in them. So you kind of have to take things with a grain of salt. Is it that they can't remember or is it that you want to put yourself in the best light? You know, probably both of those things. Yeah. Did you read That Woman by Anne Seba? Yeah, I have it right here. Oh, okay. I'll tell you, if you're an author, if you can study her, it's like a masterclass in writing um, promotion because she is on every video, every documentary, all kinds of conversations about Wallace Simpson. She got herself in there. So I got to give her mad props for that. As far as the book goes, um, there was some things in it that were different um, than the other ones, but a lot of the time it kind of followed right along with Greg King's. I'm not saying that it was plagiarized at all. I'm just saying that. Um, if I had the two to read, I would read Greg King's and not that woman. But it was okay. I'm glad I read it. There are some authors that, and I haven't mentioned them, and I, and I probably won't. There are some authors who, and this is only natural, I think, because we do it ourselves, but at least we admit it. I admit right now that I was more sympathetic to Wallace than to the royal family. That's mm-hmm. just how my position came out. Um, but I'm admitting that out loud. There are some biographers who are clearly on the side of the royal family in this endeavor, but do not make that position clear. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so all you get is the scurrilous stories, stole our king, blah, blah, blah. And I'm really not down for that kind of slagging off of a historical figure if there are sympathetic things. Can we not put those in also? No, I totally agree. Totally. So, and I'm not going to mention any of those by names. I just kind of found mm-hmm. that a little disheartening. Um, I'm all down if you want to write it from the royal perspective, but at least be honest, I guess, is what I'm saying about that. And then um, I've re- recommended this several times, 17 Carnations by Andrew Morton that covers the royals and the Nazis. Yeah, that one was on my list too. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of times we cover these women, we're like, this story is ripe for a movie. Why hasn't anybody made this movie? With Wallace Simpson, it's just the opposite. It's like, come on, another Wallace Simpson movie? There's so many out there. We was directed by Madonna. It was a 2011 movie, and it centers around the 1998 auction at Sotheby's of the um, jewels and possessions of the Windsors. And um, uh, there's a lot of stylized things that I liked about it, but it's kind of a love story that Wallace is running parallel to um, a modern day love story. And then Wallace comes in. I did like the actress that played her though. I thought she gave her a lot of uh, grit. The casting was really good on that, but the, Mm -hmm. I I don't know, I guess maybe I wanted a little bit more of a purer biography. Yes, I agree. And there was a lot of truth in the story, but it was kind of um, clouded by the modern day love story. It had, you know, Natalie Dormer was in it as, um, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. Yeah, isn't that funny? She's totally not um, cookie at all. But okay, <laughs> better than we. I liked Wallace and Edward from two thousand five, starring Jolie Richardson as Wallace. As did I. Man, you can totally see. I guess this is me being sympathetic to Wallace again. You can see the torment. You can. Oh yeah. 
I really oh yeah, and it. that's what I wrote down. I'm like presented her very sympathetically, and yeah. it's told by her from her point of view. So yeah, I did like that one too. Actually, when I was reading, like I read biographies, and then I saw the movies, and then I read some more. But Jolie Richardson's portrayal was the one that was sticking in my head whenever I was reading things that they covered in that movie. So it was, I liked it. You can get a large part of that movie on YouTube. Oh, really? I um, actually paid for it through Amazon. Like the streaming, you can pay for movies sometimes. And that yeah. one was available. Yeah. That's how I saw that one. Um, <laughs> there is a hysterically bad mini film by Carl Lagerfeld of Wallace meeting Coco Chanel. And Carl Lagerfeld, you know, the designer, he wrote it and directed it. And it's short. It's just a few minutes, but it's just the most bizarre conversation between Coco Chanel and Wallace Simpson. Just weird. The Woman I Love from 1972 suffers greatly from production value problems. But I <laughs> am spoiled, rotten. You know what I mean? With regard to this, perhaps if I were regarding it in 72, I would have liked it. It stars Faye Dunaway as Wallace Simpson. And then even before that, although I didn't see it, The King's Memoirs, A King's Story, was made into a movie in 1965, um, which makes me think that he might have seen it. Oh. Isn't that weird to see yourself depicted on the screen? So I don't know that he watched it, but it was perfectly, uh, it was in the world at the same time as he was. And there's also an award-winning uh, miniseries, Edward and Mrs. Simpson, from 1978 with Cynthia Harris as Wallace. Um, I didn't think it stood up that well. You know, it's a miniseries, so it's not like a high-production movie, but it's a lot of people's favorite. I think um, we should just go with uh, Wallace and Edward with Jolie Richardson. I, I would agree. If you were going to see one movie, that's the one I would see. Although, you know, as far as documentaries go, um, there's one that was produced and hosted by Prince Edward. Whatever Happened to the Windsors, King Edward and Wallace Simpson. And I got it on Amazon streaming. Now, see, that got very bad, very bad reviews in several books. Are you you're talking about the one Edward on Edward? It's not a movie. It's a documentary. Yeah, I think that got um, to the point where during a showing, one of Wallace's friends stood up and Prince Edward asked her what she thought of it. And she said it was full of lies and the worst thing she'd ever seen. Yeah, it's totally if you want the from the royal family's point of view, you know, you were talking about those books that are written that way. Yeah, that's a documentary that is. But I, there was stuff in there that I with that I thought was very interesting. And I think to understand her, you need to be able to see her from both sides. Right. So I think that's a good way to see her from the side of the royal family. Um, just as a side note on books, if you, as I am, are um, interested in alternate histories, the what ifery, you know, this is a very ripe subject for people to write about. It it seems to have struck a lot of people as a very critical moment in history. Um, what if he hadn't abdicated? What if they had gotten married? What if Wallace didn't exist? I mean, any permutation of that. There's a couple of alternative history fiction novels, one called The Leader, where Edward has won and he stays as king with Wallace Simpson as the queen um, evidently, they rule a fascist Britain after World War II. <laughs> um, and then in Robert Harris's book, Fatherland, he is there as a puppet government. So you never know what it's going to be. But most of the time they and the Nazis get in bed together in these books. 
<laughs> That's quite dramatic to have them do that. So uh, um, anyway, didn't want you to miss that whole rabbit hole if that's your thing. Okay, I have a link to the Sotheby's auction of Wallace Simpson's jewelry. The auction brought in $45 million for the Pasteur Institute, to whom she left a large part of her other money. Um, one piece alone, which I thought you would like, her famous flamingo brooch, brought in $2.5 million. <laughs> I do like that flamingo brooch, but I think my favorite piece was the cross bracelet because she had a charm bracelet and it had crosses on it that David had given her over the years. And on the back, it was inscribed as to the event, you know, if she was sick or, you know, their wedding or um, a trip that they took. And it's a charm bracelet with all these crosses on it. I that is that is beautiful to me. She, what a sweet, sentimental bauble to have. There's an article from the express.co.uk um, um, about Winston Churchill trying to block the Duke of Windsor, um, which got into more of his Nazi sympathies. Mm-hmm. So if that is a rabbit hole you like to fall down, there's also several about the timeline from 1935 to 1940 leading up to war, which includes the abdication in those years. If you would like to see King Edward proclaimed as king in a video, um, we'll link you to that. Now, you should know what you're going to see in that video is three just views in different places of the heralds. And then on the fourth view, they go ahead and say the proclamation. They just wanted to show you in different places, but they're not going to have you sit through it four times, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, I think I put that on the show notes from the last episode. Oh, very good. Very good. You can watch the coronation of George the Sixth and Elizabeth, the Queen Mum, uh, if you want to. It was also televised, although Wallace and David will only listen to it on the radio, but you can watch it. <laughs> there is a um, YouTube video of Wallace's funeral. Oh, I missed that one. Or at least the procession out of the church. Uh, it's a two and a half minute video. There's also an article in Vogue called The Beautiful People of Cafe Society, The Scrapbooks. Evidently before Instagram, if you wanted to, quote, prove you uh, had been with the fancy people, you would keep a scrapbook of everyone you'd met. You know, the napkins the conversations, etc. And a couple of those have been made public and do include our friends. Um, Also, there is a Calypso song by an artist called Lord Caresser. (laughs) Uh, Calypso is not really what you would necessarily associate with the king, but it's all about the abdication. And I will link you to the video of that song. It'll get Calypso music in your head, which is not a bad thing. And that's all we have on the life of Wallace Simpson. We started out dubious. Yes, we sure did. All we knew of her was her reputation. Based on rumors, really, the more dastardly the better. Well, in 1936, Wallace was the very first Woman of the Year in Time magazine. The most talked about, written about, headlined, and interest-compelling person in the world. History will never forget Wallace Simpson. Alternative history will never forget her. And we think it might be time to stop blaming her, to realize that she was an ordinary person who lived through extraordinary circumstances. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. So many of you have been leaving reviews for us lately, and we just want to say thank you. We read every single one, and it means a lot. 
Our hearts are full. Thank you so much. You can interact with Susan on Twitter. You can interact with, hmm, it could be either of us on Facebook or me on Instagram and the Pinterest boards. Much to my shame, of course, I work on daily. So there's always new content on Pinterest. I really should find another hobby. Anyway, special thanks to James Harper of Harper Active for allowing us to use his music in our shows. The end song is Jack My Swag from Harper Active, and you can buy his whole album at harperactive.bandcamp.com. Thank you.